episode 201, Rami Ramani. Welcome to Awaken Your Alpha. My name is Adam Lewis Walker, former athlete and teacher turned lifestyle and entrepreneur coach. Each week we bring you the world's most successful minds to inspire you to act on your true potential. Head over to ayalpha.com. If you really want to discuss your goals and get that clarity and then create a path to achieve it, all you need to do at this stage, go to ayalpha.com. Click on this episode, for example, scroll down, a link there, you can book in your free call, specific time that works for you as well as me. These clarity calls standalone are very powerful. You know, middle of the year, a lot of people are cruising coming into summer, but if you just think, I'm not gonna wait till January to, you know, make some significant changes, then just jump on a call and see how we can make it more of a reality for you. It is time to awaken your alpha. All right, guys, we have a brilliant one this week. We have a good friend of mine. We have Emmy Award-winning cinematographer and director. Rami Romani is here. It's been said he's an expert on all things Egyptian. Say so he's had two Emmy wins and seven nominations. He's been featured on Discovery, Discovery Channel, History Channel, BBC, National Geographic. He's, um, he's met Arnold and worked with Arnold, I should say, more importantly. Um, and so we're going to talk about all sort of all things cinematography, movies, and he's got a very interesting origin story. He's originally from Egypt and now lives in LA. But firstly, Rami, are you ready to awaken your alpha? Well, firstly, you still pronounce my name wrong, so just let me correct that with everyone because it seems like however times you try to do it, you're going to uh, fail. My name is Rami Romani. Uh, Rami Romani. Yeah, that, that's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> so literally, our friendship is going to go on the fact I can't say your name. So apologies, mate. <laughs> it's forgiven. Right. Go for it, Aiden. <laughs> All right, Bob, it's all good. So, I mean, I want to dig in straight away into your origin stories because when, when we obviously met a few times and when I sat with your wife and we talked about your story, basically, of how you ended up where you are today, I mean, you're originally from yeah. Egypt. You come from a family really into documentaries and movie making. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about that and how you got into sort of your path that you're in now? Yes, I was, um, I, was born, I was born and raised in Egypt. I was born into a documentary filmmaking family. My father is a producer, and that's, of course, what I did. It was just handed to me very easily uh, to what I think is still the best job in the world. I uh, produced ancient Egyptian documentaries for National Geographic and Discovery Channel, History Channel, and uh, everywhere else. Mostly when we started was actually BBC TV and Channel 4 yep. for England, and then, and then it took over the uh, American um, channels through Discovery and History and National Geographic. Um, I grew up doing it, loved doing it. I started when I was 12. My my name is in the, on the rolling credits of all these BBC documentaries when I was 11 and 12 and 13. What, um, what were you doing at that stage? Were you, if I remember, were you like Mr. Fixer at that time, just running around helping get everything organized? Mr. Fixer is exactly my job. That was my title. <laughs> um, our company was called the Egypt Fixer, and my job was called the Fixer. Okay. And um, I was there to uh, make problems disappear however way I can do that without involving anyone else in the transaction. Don't make me yeah, disappear. Yeah, me. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And, um, 
the country Egypt is completely different culturally. So mm -hmm. the, the way you can um, have the, the problems that would arise are different, and the way to deal with the problems are obviously very different. Mm -hmm. And things are not taking the same way they are taking the U.S. Bribes are not really bribes in Egypt. Uh, <laughs> bribes are a thank you or uh, more of an obligation fees under the table, or else nothing is going to happen. <laughs> Blimey, that's yeah. When you definitely need the the local intelligence. So um, I want to take it up to when did you start? When, when you were still in Egypt, did you start directing in Egypt as well and doing the cinematography, or was it just purely the sort of the Mister Fixer role in Egypt? Working right next to some of the world's best um, documentary filmmaking. Uh, direct, so documentary filmmakers and directors yeah. and cinematographers and I had the pleasure of watching each and every one of them do their job for some reason they were all very generous with their information and they were all very happy to share and teach me and I started um, um, assistant directing in Egypt and, um, and, and then held a camera and um, and shot for different documentaries as a second camera operator, and um, and from there it worked. And I started deep DPing, which is being the director of photography, yeah, um, of a couple of documentaries, which instantly started winning different awards, um, which meant I might um, have a clue to what the hell I'm doing, <laughs> um, and it worked. It worked in my favor, and uh, it took off from there. Absolutely awesome. When you was in Egypt, was there always this sort of the dream in terms of obviously getting into documentaries and filmmaking? Was it always the dream to move to America and Los Angeles, or did that come about by circumstances? Of obviously, what happened in Egypt around about the time you left, or the exact time you left? What was the plan? Um, I left Egypt on January thirtieth, two thousand and eleven. On January 29th, the one day before that, my dream was to live in Egypt for the rest of my life. Okay. To grow our empire, um, I I come from a richer Christian family, so I lived in a bubble in Egypt. I was one of the privileged ones in Egypt, mm -hmm. uh, where everything I needed, I had. Uh, I worked. I I was a hard worker, but uh, nowhere in comparison to the poor population in Egypt, where they can work their asses off all their lives and never get anywhere, mm -hmm. uh, which is a part of the reason what happened happened. In 2009, on one of the jobs, I met my wife, um, Shara, who was also a camera person. She was awesome. We fell in love. Five months later, we got married. We couldn't wait any longer. She left Los Angeles and she came, moved to Egypt. We built our house and we lived in it and we had our dream um, to have kids and and, 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 and grandkids in our yeah. house in Egypt for the rest of our lives. We worked together and everything was perfect. So I think I saw photos of where you used to live. It was absolutely stunning. And around that time, like you said, it was, it's not, it was nothing like the, sort of the images we're seeing on the news with what was going on in uh, Egypt. When was yeah. the breaking point when you kind of have to make the decision, you've got to go or you can't stay there? I'm sure you really wanted to stay there. But when was the, the turning point? You think, right, we, we've got to go. There's like, the safety issues in here and we, we just got to go. Well, the revolution of Egypt uh, was on was started on January twenty fifth, two thousand and eleven, um, and and that day was just a normal day like any other day, and 
myself. I lived in Egypt. I was born and raised in Egypt. I grew up in Egypt. I knew exactly how safe and secure Egypt is. I looked at it on the news and I thought, there's just a couple of kids on the streets yeah. and everything's going to be fine. In a couple of hours, police will arrest everyone. Everything will be back to normal. Uh, it, but it was funny because I had strong feelings mm-hmm. for every protester. And I thought it would be great if they can, if they can send a message yeah. um, to the government of what they want. And it would be great if the government listens. But I'm sitting in my bubble in my living room mm-hmm. with my six-month-old baby, then Sophia. And, um, and I, am, I am confident that nothing further than that is going to happen. As a matter of fact, we were planning to go buy a new car that day. And the only reason I didn't go out is I thought there would be a lot of traffic because of these little protests. Yeah. That night, the police went out as planned um, to arrest everyone. Well, it, it, I should mention that the protests started against the police brutality. And it was January 25th is a police day in Egypt, like the police feast day in Egypt. Okay. And that's why the revolution started that day. Now, everyone was arrested that night. But unlike every other protest or revolution, this one was different because it started online. It started on Twitter and Facebook. And everyone that was really passionate about it couldn't get their news feed from the TV because TV was lying. TV is government. They only got their news feed from Twitter. And the police decided to arrest everyone, then shut Twitter and Facebook down in Egypt. Yeah. And that's when they made their biggest mistake. <laughs> because everyone now can't get their news feed unless they go out on the streets and see for their eyes what's happening. Oh. And that's exactly what's happened. On the next day, everyone went out on the street and the revolution became full in full effect. Line. There was millions and there were millions and millions of people uh, people on the streets from every different city in Egypt. I lived in Cairo, the main city then, and I thought that that, that doesn't look too normal, but I'm sure everything is still going to be fine. Yeah. That night, it got too crazy that the police decided, okay, you don't like the police? We'll show you what it will be like without the police. And the police decided to abandon the country. Oh. The police decided to open prisons, open oh. jails, oh, I didn't open, leave the police stations unattended with all the guns in the police stations. And Egypt is not a gun country. Yeah. Police has guns, but citizens, civilians don't have guns. Yeah. And instantly, Egypt was converted into a crazy, lawless land where prisoners left prisons, and a lot of these prisons had terrorists. Terrorists were free, thieves were free, criminals were free on the street, and no police on the streets. Army tanks started to go on the streets to protect government structures. Yeah. Young kids in their neighborhoods started coming out on the streets and holding whatever weapons they have, swords and guns, to protect their own neighborhood by stopping cars and 
if they suspect anyone inside, they would just kill everyone inside the car. All of a sudden, Egypt became just lawless. Yeah, and sounds like, my, yeah, it sounds like a Mad wife, Max film. Blimey. Very true. My wife then was really scared, and she said, we have to leave right now. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. I've been here all my life. Nothing would happen. But I, whatever I see in front of my eyes is just not that's not the case yeah. Egypt is not okay right now and then all of a sudden we start hearing um, um, artillery and fire around our house we live on a 16 acre land with mango trees, a big mm. swimming pool a big house and then we started seeing um, people jumping the fences of the houses in, in, in my fancy fancy little neighborhood yeah and uh, because it's time for criminals and thieves to it. And uh, the embassy, the American embassy called my wife on the phone and told her, um, leave now. It's going to get really bad. Tomorrow is going to be a really bad day. Uh, the embassy had information that no one else did. And they tried to get all their people out of Egypt as soon as possible. Um, Blimey. Did you did you manage to get out smoothly, as smooth as you could in that situation? Well, we uh, we had to spend the night. It was night late at night, and no one should be allowed out of the street at night then. Yeah. So we had to spend the night in our food storage, um, uh, food storage uh, uh, room inside our house, which was the most enclosed closed room with one window. Um, we boiled sand and oil. Uh, just in case anyone tries to climb that this is the best way you just put pour the sand and oil on them and it burns them off and, i was gonna say that sounds like the castles in england back in the day in medieval times with the oil and sand blimey that's exactly where we learned it from we have to <laughs> yeah. get with and and in my head I, I i'm just thinking i have to protect my wife i have protect to protect my six-month-old baby it's it's that's all what i can think of yeah the next morning, we take our car and we drive straight to the airport hoping to get out. And that drive was a scene from a movie, mm. to say the least. I was driving and it looked like the end of the world. Um, it, was, it was no police. And uh, of course, the cars were going the wrong way, but that's normal. That's Egypt. Everything... <laughs> <laughs> Everything else was not normal. Um, There's kids with guns, kids with swords, people getting killed on the street, uh, tanks on the street, army tanks on the street, yeah. only protecting government structures and not worrying about anything else. And um, we're hearing on the radio while we're driving that kids are stopping people next to their neighborhoods to protect, to protect their neighborhoods. But at the same time, they're young kids and they can't, they don't think, they act and then they think. So they they have killed so many innocent people in their cars yeah. because they suspect them. And yep. um, I decided not to stop for anyone. I'm going to mm. drive. I'm going to just keep going to the airport. And I decided that it's time to murder a human being if I need to. I would never think so. I would never think that I could do that. Yeah. But as I was driving and seeing at the end of the road, kids trying to stop my car. I see it in my head. There was like flashes of images in yeah. my head. 
thinking of that kid under my car and letting my my feet step on the gas and not on the brakes and I just see flashes I hear him holding to the edge of my car I see him holding to the edge of my car I hear him screaming I hear his friends yelling and and coming to my car and I, all what I can think of is I'm gonna hit the gas and not the brakes I'm mm. gonna I'm, I will keep going I'll hear his skull shudder under my car but I'll keep going I will defend my family yeah I would never think of murdering human being but that was the I was ready I was ready for it and um and I approached them I was staring right in his eye I pressing the gas and I I knew that that's that's the right thing I'm doing and just before he actually goes under my car he hits the top of my car and jumps off and very luckily, I did not kill the kid. Yeah. I drove straight to the airport, and of course, that's where everyone else is trying to go. Um, I have Sophia on, in a baby Bjorn on my chest and my wife running behind me, trying to get to any any plane. There was one plane that supposedly will go to New York with two business class seats left on it. Uh, we got the business class seats and we couldn't we couldn't go inside the airport everyone was so stuck but a part of my job was at the airport yeah. a part of my job was was handling gear at the airport letting equipment go through the the customs so i knew my people and i knew who to bribe to get behind the lines and i did i bribed my way through i got behind the lines and we were the first people on that plane that is going out to new york no other planes are moving. None of yeah. the other planes that are scheduled to leave have left. Our planes are two hours late and we're still on the plane. There's few passengers on the plane, but the plane is not full. The crew can't make it. The pilot is there. Yeah. Not all the not all the crew members are there. And we're two hours late. We're sitting. We feel like someone is going to come up and say, we're deboarding the plane. We're yeah. not going to take off. But all of a sudden, the pilot decides to close the door and take off. <laughs> what a legend. Thank God. Whew. And that's what they did. We took yeah. off straight to New York. And uh, a second later, the, 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 um, the, flight, the flight attendant passes by and asks us if we want sushi or horse meat for our meal. And that was it. Wow, I'm I'm glad you made it. And I remember when you you t obviously told me this story, but not as in detail as this time um, before. I'm just like, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, apart from I want to hear this on the podcast, I was thinking this n needs to be made into a movie. I'm surprised, you know, it's a few years later now that someone hasn't yet. Um, or you know, is there any? What are your thoughts on that? Because like you said, it sounds like a movie, and I know there are films from. It reminds me of a, a few similar sort of films with from different places, but. Is there any is there any talk in your sort of area, obviously in Los Angeles, have you heard anything of something being made on the revolution in Egypt? Yes. Yeah. There are. The, oh, there are very secretive talks right now. Yeah. There's um, there's a story being built, but um, we shouldn't be sharing any of it. No. So uh, maybe I'll tell you. Maybe I'll tell you um when when it's ready yeah well, when i see you in september but, as well. <laughs> but yeah but tune in also it's a crazy story i'm just as i say so glad you made it so 
once you land, obviously your wife is in, obviously she's into the, the cinematography as well. And obviously she's originally from Los Angeles. Did you head straight to that direction, Los Angeles? And um, how was it getting, obviously, because you didn't make the choice to come to America. How was it then transferring your skills and like, not starting from scratch, but starting new in America for you? Well, we didn't plan to go to Los Angeles. I still, it's so funny when I think Oh, yeah, that. I was going to say, did you think you'd go back as well? I suppose that's the, we haven't really finished the yeah. story. Yeah, I didn't yeah, think I went, I went, we went to New York. We went to New York, and that's my, my father, that's where, where my father-in-law lives. We stayed at his house for a week. And uh, in my head, I was like, mm -hmm. we're just staying there for a week or two. Yeah. And we're going back to Egypt because everything is just still going to be fine. Yeah. Um, I was um, not under the impression at all that Egypt was about to change uh, forever. And um, a week later, the president of Egypt comes out in the news. And uh, as a matter of fact, his vice president comes out in the news and, and says, we're out. Mm. The president heard you and he's leaving. And there was no more president in the country. There was no more government in the, and Egypt was chaos. Yeah. And at that time, I knew we just can't just go back. Yeah. So we decided to go start a new life. Yeah. In Los Angeles, California, where my wife lived in the first place. Mm -hmm. She came in and luckily she was instantly um, hired on a, on a show to a camera operate. Um, and uh, I had to start a long process of getting my paperwork in, in, in a row to become an American resident and a resident and to have a work permit. Yeah. Um, it took six months for the residency card uh, to come, but it took uh, two months for the work permit to arrive. And uh, once the work permit arrived, I went out and I was like, I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready to do my cinematography. I'm, I'm ready. I'm extremely talented. Yeah. And I'm ready for everyone to hire me. Yeah. But, um, but no one did. Yeah. For some reason in, in Los Angeles, if you are not, if your experience is not in Los Angeles, yeah. you don't have experience. Well, it might be a little um, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How was your mindset? Did you, you take it head on or how were you feeling at that time? Well, I, well, the only thing I can think about is uh, how can I sustain living for my family while I'm here? Yeah. Um, as an Egyptian, it's always, um, it's always a, a, a thing that you are raised on and, and you're, you're, you grow learning is that um, as, a, as a man of your family, you yeah. have to make sure you provide and you have to make sure you, ha you keep your family safe. So it's, it's your main concern at all times your family provide make them safe make them happy and uh and that, that's what i was thinking about uh, i didn't think for a second oh i can't get work i'm gonna give up yeah uh so i decided to start over i had a camera mm -hmm. i thought everyone needs a guy with a camera so i went to craigslist and i looked for any job i applied for Craigslist had so many jobs. I applied for at least 20, 30 jobs a day. And the total, I probably applied for five, six thousand jobs. And out of them, I would get probably a job every couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. And it would be a hundred dollars with my camera to go film a birthday party. 
mm-hmm. but um, yeah. but that was okay. I, yeah. I still I just do I'll do anything, and that's what happened. One of these jobs, I got connected with a through a different person through a different person. I got connected to um, Nick Nanton, who's a, a, an amazing Emmy Award-winning documentary director. And uh, Nick, we've had him. Yeah, we've had him on the show, and yeah, he's the guy. Who, oh, we did. Yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah, the guy obviously brought me out to do some work with yourself in every September. It seems at this time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, and Nick um, Nick had uh, Nick had his a cinematographer. Uh, stand by, ready to go on a documentary shoot in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then his name was Amr Deep, and Amr Deep's dad got um, got shot um, in Wisconsin, and um, and he was unable to fly to shoot the documentary with Nick. And Nick didn't know me then. It was the first time we've ever worked together. And yeah. Nick said, "Would you just? How about you just replace him? Come with me and." We'll do that documentary together, and I was very excited. It was my first uh, big job, yeah. um, a reputable job. I went with Nick. We did the documentary, and um, we won an Emmy for it. Legendary. So, I mean, could you tell? I mean, so you said it's your first big job, but when it got nominated for an Emmy, I mean, did you have any idea that it might win, or were you just obviously happy just to be in that category? Well, I had no idea it could even be nominated. Yeah. Uh, well, the nomination came in, and I thought I won already. And uh, <laughs> I started signing my emails as an Emmy-nominated documentary <laughs> filmmaker. And yeah. I thought, this is – I just – my life just changed. I'm an Emmy-nominated cinematographer. Yeah. Little did I know, <laughs> a couple of years later, I have two Emmys, seven nominations – um, and huge success. And I, I, I moved to a new house. We bought a new house and we sold it. We bought another house. We just moved to one of the nicest neighborhoods in Los Angeles. I live right next to the Kardashians and Kanye West. <laughs> I live in a one in, 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 in a million dollar house. I live with a beautiful pool in my backyard. I have two kids happy. My wife is pregnant. Um, I am a, I'm a very successful commercial director. Um, I was going to mention, I wanted to mention in your bio, obviously you've done uh, commercials for Pepsi, Chrysler, Coca-Cola. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a long list. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I just got lucky one, one thing after the other. And, and it's, it, I think, I think hard work pays off, but I have a motto in my work and career and, and business mm-hmm. and um it's never been better it's it's funny it's it's just so little and yeah. every time anyone asks me how am i doing my first response is instantly i have never been better i i can confirm that that's what you said when we got on the phone today <laughs> awesome. I, because i i personally have never been better but you don't need to hear about my trouble no. You just need to hear about my happiness, yeah. and 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 I'm happy, and I've never been better. And for some reason, people, everyone, want to be with the happy person. They don't want to hang around a person that is complaining and whining about their life, about their work, about oh, I'm not getting enough work. Oh, I'm I'm not doing well. Oh, people treat me bad. 
just be happy and people will want to hang out with you. Yeah, I love it. Talking about happy, you've got me onto my favorite subject now. How did working with Arnold come about and how is the big man? I know you told me in person you played with his sword and that he's your buddy now. So tell us about that. <laughs> well, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of these, um, one of these um, names that are internationally famous. Yeah. Whether you actually know who Arnold Schwarzenegger or not, you know the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. In Egypt, it's an adjective. It's not a name. It's, um, you tell people, you're acting so Arnold. You're acting <laughs> so Schwarzenegger. Because it becomes an adjective. Few people are like that. John Travolta's yeah. like that. Arnold Schwarzenegger's like that. Of course, has been my. I watched his movies when I was a kid, and I grew up, and I never thought he was actually a real character. I thought he was just an imaginary yeah. human being. He doesn't exist, and and um, it leads me a National Geographic show with with one of the producers I worked uh, with in Egypt calls me one day. He's like, "I'm in Los Angeles. I need you right now." My cinematographer flakes on me, and it seems like this is. Something that always is the case. Yeah. Someone flakes on someone and someone else gets an opportunity that changes his life. That yeah. happened with me a couple of times, one of which was Arnold Schwarzenegger. A guy flaked. I was there and I was always Arnold's buddy. I worked with him a couple of times after that and we went in and I have to be completely honest. I expected a completely covered person. No one should be close to him. I've been on sets where there's famous people on set and they would come and tell us, you are not allowed to make eye contact with that person. Oh, I'm not going to mention names because God. it's not nice. Yeah. But Arnold was not one of these guys. No. Arnold came in and before we started shooting, invited us to have breakfast with him. We all went to his kitchen. We had breakfast in his kitchen, standing up all together like buddies, like, we, like we're all friends. No one is more important than anyone else. I filmed at his governor office <laughs> in Los Angeles. And the place is like a museum. You walk in and the, the, the Terminator is right there. The, the, the Conan swords are right there. Every single you movie picked has up been his sword. Did you? you picked up his sword. I know you did. Well, I, I don't, that, I, <laughs> let's not make that public. But as soon as I went in, I couldn't help myself. That sword was right in front of me. And I'm ready to pick it up. I used both of my hands because I know how strong the man is and how heavy the sword would be. And, uh, and I was mistaken. It was just a prop sword. It was quite light. <laughs> it looks great, but it was really light. I moved it and then we used it. We had so much fun. And when Arnold came, it was a National Geographic documentary with Bill Nye. And the idea was Arnold was the psychiatrist for Bill Nye. Uh, griefing over climate change and we asked Arnold to start the scene yeah. scratching his back with a corner sword and he couldn't be happier to do it <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool man and, yeah and uh, while prepping <laughs> while prepping Arnold sat on the side uh, we played uh, we played chess and um, I decided that uh, I will beat him at his at his best game we sat together we played chess while smoking cigars and I was that close yeah. I was that close of beating Arnold Schwarzenegger in his own game, um, but it didn't happen. <laughs> hey, man, that dude is a winner. That, that just proves it. 
Yes, uh, maybe maybe I was scared to beat him at chess. Maybe let's let's put it that way. Yeah, keep him happy. Keep him happy. But again, he's another person that, again, from the outside, it seems like obviously he's very talented in what he does. But apart from obviously his drive, very happy guy. Um, And as you know, from the stories I've heard from lots of different people who've met him and hung out with him, he's always seems to be on form for for everyone. So that's absolutely awesome to hear. Well. It's been an absolute pleasure today. I mean, <laughs> I don't. We obviously covered Egypt and Arnold very well. Um, it, I suppose, <laughs> anyone's listening from a cinematography point of view, what do you think makes a really good shot? Then, what tips would you give? I think some of the best tips you've given are more sort of the, the the be happy type stuff. But what do you think makes a really good cinematographer? Um, that's really interesting um, because the best tip for cinematography is not about cinematography Mm. Um, your job as a cinematographer is to um, show the story in its best way so you are the tool you are the vessel of explaining story correct Mm -hmm. if you get in your head about cinematography and try to make it look good without thinking about the story, you have failed miserably. If people watch a movie and like the cinematography more than the story, you have failed miserably. You want to explain story with your images. Don't mess the story up. And that's the idea. Every shot you do, every frame you create, is about the story quality well what is the if people want to hear more or find out more or even if, or even get you to do shoot some of their videos for them what's the best way people can connect with you they need to pronounce my name correctly first and it's rami romani and <laughs> and that's and that's also my website rami romani.com r-a-m-y-r-o-m-a-n-y.com cool it's been an absolute pleasure and i will see you in september and uh, I'll work on your name as well. Pleasure. <laughs> 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 Pleasure, Adam. See you Sunday. Take care. Cheers, man. Head over to ayalpha.com. Feel free to book yourself in to discuss your goals and then create a path to achieve it. I'm here to help you, whether it's to give you that clarity or partner with you going into the end of 2016 to really finish off this year strong. If you're serious about taking some action, let's start it off with jumping on the phone with me. Have a great week and I'll speak to some of you very soon. Romane, yeah? Yeah, you did it, dude. Boom, Romane. Yeah, Yeah, or you could just call me David.